Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps us with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcaps. Registration is now open for our next event, the Planet Microcap Showcase taking place in Las Vegas at the Horseshoe Hotel and Casino. Uh, formerly Bally's, on April 25 through 27, 2023. We've actually already announced our initial speakers and sponsors for the conference, which includes uh, a lot of the guests that you've heard on here, including uh, Andrew Walker, who will be moderating three live Q&A podcasts with three investors uh, pitching their ideas. We'll also have Maj Sway Don from geoinvesting.com, who will be hosting moderated company presentations during his tier one track, on day two, Wednesday, April 26th, as well as Scott Weiss from Semco Capital. On my podcast live, we'll have Matthew Martin, Ryan Irvin, uh, as well as Sam Namiri and Harris Perlman. So we have many more announcements. Uh, there's more speakers to put out there, as well as our initial presenting companies, which will be posted, uh, I believe, at the time of this publishing, probably on uh, tomorrow, so on Wednesday, um, March 8th. So definitely tune in to our website to see that. And uh, to register and attend, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. My guest on the show today is Patrick Flood, investment analyst for the LATAM Stocks Newsletter. Latin America consists of 20 countries and a population of more than 600 million people, and it is one of maybe even the the most underfollowed and underinvested regions in the world. Is it geopolitical risk? No doubt there's that, and not diminishing the significance of that risk whatsoever. We actually talk about it at length, but could it also well be uh, that it's really hard to find good information about investments in Latin America, especially in English? That's where Patrick and his newsletter, LATAM Stocks, enters the conversation. He's an expat who's been living in Brazil full-time for the last 10 years. And after starting out working at a boutique asset manager, he moved on to work as an M&A analyst at a family office, then went on to work as a chief gringo. Yes, that's the official job title. Look it up at one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in Latin America. Equity analysis is his first love. And he does the dirty work, a la one of our favorites here, Paul Andriola. Uh, Patrick goes through every local Latin American exchange and dives deep into their financial statements. Needless to say, I'm now a fan and really enjoyed my conversation with Patrick covering all things Latin America. Thank you again for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my conversation with Patrick Flood. 
This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500-plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot co backslash PMC. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing, man? It's good to be here. I'm good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. You know, just excited to learn about all the opportunities uh, available in Latin America. You know, uh, we were talking offline, like, uh, you know, your expat that just relocated, that relocated to Sao Paulo about 10 years ago. I did uh, my little stint while studying abroad in Argentina. So I'm just, it's kind of fun to, uh, we, we've never really covered this space. And and I'll, when I get into it a little bit later, my whole exposure to Latin American equities has is almost 99.9% natural resources. So uh, I'm excited to, to kind of dig in a little bit more and learn about everything that Latin America has to offer. But, you know, to, to start things off, you know, uh, in your newsletter and your, you, you really do a good job of kind of setting the stage of like why, you know, you do what you do and why you love covering Latin American stocks. Obviously you love it down there. You now live there, you know, you fiance the whole bit. Um, but, you know, to give some context, you know, Latin America consists of 20 countries. It's got a population of more than 650 million people. You know, why is it, still one of the most underfollowed and underinvested regions in the world. Yeah. So it, it definitely is underfollowed in my opinion. You know, I, I don't have many English language sources that cover Latin America well. So it's one of the reasons I started, you know, writing up some of my investment research. Uh, I think generally, you know, investors everywhere have a home country bias. So they don't invest outside of their home market in general. So Latin America, especially, um, I think Latin America, the local markets aren't even as well covered by the locals. It's not as deep. And, you know, the investment class in Latin America, generally speaking, isn't um, investing in equity. So, you know, Brazil has a hyperinflationary past. So they like land, they like real estate, they like short term fixed income. And that's starting to change. The younger investors are, you know, meme stocks caught on here just as much as they did in the U.S. Uh, They like crypto. So you're starting to see that move out the risk curve towards equity. But it's still you know, not as common as fixed income investing. Um, And then obviously there's the geopolitical risk. So it's perceived as being more risky generally. Obviously you need to look at each market individually, but, you know, Argentina is hyperinflating as we speak. So I think currency risk goes hand in hand with political risk here. Uh, Peru just had an attempted coup and, you know, the largest copper mine in the world has been shut down. Um, Brazil just had an election. I think the political risk here is a little overstated, especially by, by the locals at the moment. And yeah, and then I think there's also just a lack of contact too. You know, you mentioned you went to Buenos Aires and I meet a lot of people who go to Buenos Aires. 
some people come and they'll travel to Carnival in Rio one time in their life and they'll spend five days in Brazil. But, you know, there's not that many people that go and really get to know Ecuador or, or Costa Rica or, or Colombia even. Colombia is starting to improve. So there's just a lack of contact, right? And I think a lot of Americans in particular, when they meet Latin Americans, they meet, you know, the ones that move to the U.S. and they work in the service industries, but they don't get to see, you know, the world-class entrepreneurs and managers that are here. So they don't even really think to look at Latin American businesses as investable long-term opportunities. That I mean, you, you brought up a couple really interesting points there that I wanted to go down. But first one is because you mentioned geopolitical risk. I mean, that's literally the number one reason you hear why folks avoid Latin America. You know, you just literally rattled off like, you know, in four different countries, like things that have recently happened or are happening, you know? So, I mean, how, as an, at least for you, when you started looking at Latin American equities and you knew about both the history and, you know, you've been there 10 years. So you've been there during times in various regions where stuff's been going on. You know, how do you, how do you have, get past that, you know, in order to, to be like, okay, I still feel secure with investing in this region or looking at, you know, high quality businesses that operate in this region. So I think the first thing you do is you you get used to the worst case scenario, which is Venezuela, right? Venezuela, I covered the most recent company I covered is Gruma, which is the largest tortilla manufacturer in the world. And they had a really interesting history, about three pages of their annual report, is the history of how the Venezuelan government tried to expropriate all of their assets in the country in 2010. And it was an ongoing process. The Venezuelan government owes them like 500 million US dollars plus interest that they'll never get. So that's written down to zero. But, you know, with political risk, the bottom is always deeper than you think it's going to be. So you kind of just accept the fact that it it could go to zero, like any equity investment. But I don't think that's exclusive to Latin America, right? Like like if you were invested in Russia and Ukraine last year, the same thing, it's the equivalent to Venezuela, right? So that can happen anywhere. So I think you do your best to understand the country, the economy, you know, where things are going socially, demographics are, are always useful. And then you look on a company by company basis and and you you try and find the industries you think are going to perform well under the current political environment or where you might think the political environment's going in said country and you discount appropriately, right? So, you know, in Peru, if you wanted to invest in a a copper mine in Peru now, obviously you're you're going to put a lower valuation on it than you did six months ago, but you might still take the risk. Absolutely. I I mean, you know, looking at one region in particular, like speaking of Brazil, you know, you live and work there. Brazil's the largest country, both in size and population in Latin America. It was once seen as an up and coming superpower on the world stage, hosted the World Cup in 2014 and the Olympics in 2016, major exporter of many industrial resources the world needs. But it, but it feels like, and, and maybe this is just from like an, you know, from a U.S. perspective and you're on the ground there. So I'm sure I'm, you know, sounding like an ignorant fool in many respects. But at the same time, you know, it's, if, at least from my perspective, it feels that that promise hasn't really actualized for many different reasons. You know, you see reports of like, you know, all these soccer stadiums that were built in remote rural areas that are now like ghost towns, stuff like that. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, so using them as an example, how should folks also better understand how to think about Latin America long-term looking to allocate capital there? Yeah. So there's a saying here that you'll learn like in your first business school class in Brazil, Brazil's the country of the future and always will be, which is true to an extent, but, you know, I've been here 10 years now and it's gotten better. So it's two steps forward, one step back. And if you pay attention to the you know Western media right now in Brazil, they'd have you believe it's probably taking a step back. 
you know, the local investment community certainly believe so. And maybe they are. But, you know, long term, I'm as optimistic on Brazil as I've ever been. It's getting better here. You know, um, since I've been here, I've seen crazy improvements, right? Like the cost of a taxi was so much higher than before Uber. Before WhatsApp was here, you paid per SMS message, right? Like there's 300,000 deliverers on iFood now. You know, the remote work, you know, some people commuted three hours each way in Sao Paulo, and now they're working from. So I think the impact of technology, uh, you know, the deflation you get from technology is going to make the economy here in Latin America in general more efficient. You know, they might go kicking and screaming, but it, it is improving, in my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, in your opinion, you know, like, like, like we've talked about, you've been down there 10 years, you know, what, obviously I'm sure you're very, it sounds like you're very bullish on Brazil, obviously. I mean, you live there, you can, you making yeah. your life there. So clearly I think it goes without saying you're bullish on Brazil, but what other regions within Latin America are you both bullish and or bearish on um, for the, for the long term? you know, not just in the near term, because I'm sure all, you know, there's problems with everywhere, but like, you know, long-term bullish bearish on. Yeah, I think, I think it depends on what asset class you're talking about too. I mean, I'm going to go to Uruguay on Saturday and Uruguay is stable. It's wealthy. There's not very many equity opportunities. It's only 3 million people. But if you wanted to make a farmland investment, it's some of the best farmland in the world at a reasonable price. So Uruguay for farmland, I think Ecuador is starting to emerge as a, a mining jurisdiction. You're starting to see increased mining there. One of the companies I covered that I still own is Lumina Gold, which is a, it's an exploration, it's a drill story, but it's a huge deposit and you know world-class deposit. So you know Ecuador has the potential to become a, a, an emerging mining jurisdiction. And then I think you know the fastest ascending country in Latin America is El Salvador by far. I mean, their numbers are through the roof and you know 30% tourism growth, 10% GDP growth. It's really impressive to see the, the you know, talk about the opposite of, of geopolitical risk or, or how Latin American countries can mitigate it. I mean, their government does an amazing job of communicating with not just their own people digitally, but the wider investment community. They post everything. They're upfront about what's wrong, like what problems they're facing, what they're trying to solve, and then how they're going to solve it. So, you know, El Salvador looks as, as ascending as any country in Latin America. You know, granted, it's small. So like, there's not going to be that many investment opportunities. You're still probably going to be able to find better opportunities in Brazil because there's you know, 20 times as many people, 50 times as many people. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm bullish on El Salvador too. If I wanted to buy a beach house, I might look there. That's, that's so interesting you say El Salvador. You know, it, this, see, this is why I love talking to folks when they're on the ground and getting better understanding. Because, you know, from Western media, you know, up here, we're here like, uh, oh, they made this the huge mistake of, you know, making nationalizing Bitcoin as a currency. Like, they're they're screwed. You know, here you go. But so it, it, that's fascinating to hear that, like that, that, yeah, that happened. And that is still something that's going on. But it sounds like it doesn't really matter. The country's on the up and up. Yeah, tell that tell that to the hotel owners that have thirty percent tourism increases, right? Or tell that to the the people twenty percent twenty five percent of their economy's remittances. Mm-hmm. And Western Union is a horrible company. I mean, I mean, they would take 20 percent. El Salvadorians would have to go, you know, an hour each way. They might get extorted by gangs on the way out. And now they remit with Bitcoin and and, and they keep ninety nine percent of their money. So that's a huge economic gain. And, and you know, when you start from such a low base, it makes a huge difference, right? Like. That's that's a good point, man. Yeah, I mean, look, hey, I, I'm a big fan of professional surfing. So like they've had the El Salvador event for the last couple of years. So I mean, I don't know if that's made a huge market difference or anything like that, but it's just an example. 
right? And they're well, you know, their brand is as strong as any com- country in Latin America right now, their tourism brand. I kind of have to the lockdowns and everything. I, I travel a lot. And I think a lot of the tourism brands, if you think of countries as a tourism brand, got completely reset, right? Like some people never go to Australia again, right? Like three years ago, no one would have ever thought I should go to El Salvador. They thought it was one of the most dangerous places in the world because it was. And, you know, now El Salvador has got one of the stronger tourism brands you see on the internet. And yeah, good for them. No, absolutely. I mean, how, how do you think about like, I mean, there's other regions in the, in the area. I mean, are there any ones that you're, just, I mean, obviously Venezuela is probably one that you're a little more cautious to get exposure to, but are there any other countries right now that are kind of in the middle of figuring some stuff out that you really more or less stay away from? You know, I was in Argentina. I mentioned before we started talking during the world cup, I spent two months there, a month in Mendoza, a month in Buenos Aires. And I pulled up, you know, you know, I start with the whole list of public companies. I started looking at a few and I'm looking at the balance sheet and then I'm remembering, you know, while I'm there, the exchange rate changing 10%, you know, every other week I see, you know, rationing at the grocery stores in Mendoza, you know, limits on how much you could buy. And I look at it, I have no idea how to value a company in a hyperinflationary environment. So I really, you know, I don't know what to do. I mean, there's some companies too, like I own um, Fortuna Gold or for, sorry, uh, Fortuna Silver, and they have one of the largest gold mines in Argentina, but the market pretty much puts it at zero value. You know, I, I don't know what to do with Argentinian assets in a hyperinflationary environment. So yeah, I, I some people do. I, I know people, there's still equity investors. I mean, historically, they've always had vulture funds that'll come in and, and buy their distressed debt, but I don't know. I can't get comfortable with 100% annual inflation. I don't know what to do. Yeah. No, I'm almost like, you know, back in 2009 when I was there, it was four to one. I mean, you know, I was, and I, and I was, I was having a great time, right? But you know, four to one, uh, the, the the Argentine peso to the dollar. I was, you know, everything was really, really cheap. I mean, now the, the spread between it's a historic too because the spread between the official rate, like what the government will give you when you go to the ATM, yeah, and then the the rate you get on Florida Street from the the, the Cambio guys, it's like a hundred percent. Like I would, I would wow. get one fifty at the ATM. And I'd get over 300 exchanging cash. So it was, like, I don't know how you plan anything economically. Like, how do you make a CapEx investment that takes, you know, two years? You know, how do you do a payback period? Or how, how do you do any of the economic planning that you need to do long term under that, under that environment? It's just, it, 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 like of all the countries down there, like when I was studying down there, it, it was always Argentina was like the problem. Like it, they, oh, like they just cannot get their 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 shit and it, together and it's so hard to understand when you're there too because like there's smart people there's good entrepreneurs like you're walking down the street and there's these amazing restaurants and and it's almost it feels investable while you're there and then yeah. you, know, it, you know it feels like wow this is way better than i expected i should probably invest here and then you look at the balance and go, how much or at what valuation or what are the returns going to be are they going to just expropriate my assets and pay out you know there's just so many question marks that it's hard to put a discount on anything there I mean, Buenos Aires really is the Paris of South America. Like it's really just, it's amazing. beautiful, amazing city. So vibrant. So, so much just, just commerce everywhere. The nut, everything about it is so amazing. So you're right. That's such a great point, man. I never really put myself in that perspective. I mean, at the time I was partying I mean, super hard. But one, like- of things, <laughs> one of the things that's fascinating too, but one of the things that's fascinating too, like, like if you read about the Weimar Republic, when you have hyperinflation, people just spend everything, right? So they, you can't save. So what do you do? So in Buenos Aires and Mendoza, you couldn't get a reservation at a nice restaurant. Like lines out the door, 
because, you know, screw it. It's going to be worth 10% less next month. I might as well just go and have a nice bottle of wine and a steak. So it's, it's this really interesting phenomenon where like, it's fun. It's a great place to vacation. It's good value. There's amazing restaurants. The restaurants are packed, but you know, long-term, what do you do? I don't know. So that's one I just, you know, go back and travel and it's amazing. I love the place. I love the people, but I don't know how to, I don't know. I can't pull the trigger on an investment there. Yeah, fair enough. You know, it, we, we, you've already mentioned a couple names of uh, some companies that uh, you have exposure to. By the way, real quick, Grumma, are you shareholder? I'm, I'm assuming you are. No, no, Grumma, I don't own. Grumma, I don't own. Grumma, I don't own. Oh, okay, good. All yeah. right. They, I'm yeah. glad. And I always make sure, I, I always make sure in the newsletter to put it in bold with stars if I own it or I don't own it. Very good. All right, cool. Yeah. So like, mo- like I said at the very top, most of my exposure to publicly traded companies operating in Latin America, at least in micro caps, you know, I've been literally 99.9% via the mining and natural resources industry. Um, in your newsletter, LATAM Stocks, you know, you offer up various investment ideas that you find interesting. Um, and as you say, and I quote here, this is from your about section, that the newsletter will filter through the noise and present readers only the most interesting and compelling companies in the region. And quote, you know, h- how do you go about finding the most compelling companies in the region? Yeah. So my research process is kind of simplistic. I pull up a list of every publicly traded company in the in the country from their local stock exchange. So I'll go on the B3 in Brazil. I'll copy and paste it, and then I'll work my day w- way down the list. I read the full annual report because my goal is kind of I, I like to learn about the region as I'm doing it because you know there's a lot to learn. A- and then I kind of rank them right, like uh, I put them in you know very good, like oh this is a very compelling company, medium, like maybe revisit, and then some of them I'll even read and like forget this company, don't waste your time again. So yeah. I start with the, the full list and I work my way through it and whatever company I feel like doing that day, I do the full annual report. You kind of answer my next question because I, I, I was curious if you were, you know, do you mostly look at companies that are locally listed or did you prefer, you know, some of these North American listed companies that have operations down there? So for the mining stocks, they're mostly listed abroad, right? So right. I think like TSX, right. TSXV, most of the, there's only right, right. one pure play gold miner listed in Brazil, for example. So if you're going to do that, you, you pull up the mining stock separate. So like mining is a separate research process, but then the rest of the stuff, yeah, I'll pull it up. And then on the chance, you know, I, I don't, I run a fairly concentrated portfolio for myself. So like on the chance I do want to buy it, if they have a, a foreign listing too, then I'll think about what brokerage account, if I want to try and get exposure locally or, or abroad, but yeah, I'll look at anything. I don't necessarily care if I can buy it. Or not, when I look at it, I, I'm trying to learn about the region. And that's how I think about the newsletter too. I'm not trying to necessarily cover the best opportunities. Like, oh, this company is going to go up 20% in the next six months. My price target is X. I'm trying to bring like compelling companies that can teach a wide range of investors about the region, about the company. So a company I haven't covered yet, I don't own, is called Grupo Bimbo. Uh, and Grupo Bimbo is a Mexican baking company. So they have 4% of the global baking market. Most people have never heard of them. Right. I wouldn't buy it. It's expensive. It trades at like 23x earnings, 4x book. It's, it's levered. But, you know, if you're a commodity trader and you want to understand the wheat market, you should probably know about them. If you're interested in, in global food production, you know, they're worth following. They're huge. Right. And, and that's the kind of company I try to cover. Same with Gruma that I just covered, the largest tortilla manufacturer in the world. You know, they're in 110 countries. You know, I had interacted with a bunch of their products before I knew Groom existed. And like, oh, wow, this is the company that owns Mission Mission Tortillas. I had no idea. So, uh, it, yeah. so you know, you just you covered it, it seems like the main two industries, at least that you've you covered recently, obviously resources. We've talked about that at nauseum. Yeah. But then also on the food side, 
right? I mean, are those are those clearly the two main sectors that are publicly available, or is there is there like a sprinkling attack or anything else? It depends. You'll see the 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 most robust tech community or tech publicly traded tech companies by far Brazil. So Brazil has a, a tech investment, a, a large portion of the venture capital that, that comes into South America or Latin America goes to Brazil. So there's plenty of tech companies to look for. But I think, you know, the most compelling that I can understand the best, I always look for companies I can understand and like tech's a little harder. So it makes sense, right? They're so resource rich here. They produce so many hard and soft commodities that, you know, it makes sense that some of the best companies, the most compelling companies here are going to be value added companies that make bread or tortillas or or coffee, you know, it, it makes sense that that would be, would be a bias. For sure. So what's, what's some of your, you know, when you are looking to potentially add it to your portfolio or, uh, you know, what, what are some of your criteria when you're digging deep into some of these names? Yeah. So the first is like I mentioned, the business that I can understand. So one of the things you'll see a lot of in Latin America is these big conglomerates that have a bunch of businesses that don't go together. So you'll see like a car parts manufacturer that also owns like a large fruit farm and a copper mine. And I look at those and I go, maybe these are all three great businesses, but it's so complex to unpack that I, I, I kind of, especially when you're thinking about the geopolitical risk, like what's the geopolitical risk? The mining industry is hard enough, but mining industry plus manufacturing plus another industry, it's just much harder to, to discount the risk compounds a little bit. And then like we mentioned too, a, a country that's stable enough to be investable in terms of geopolitics or the currency. So Argentina, you know, it's not that volatile politically. But the currency is terrible, right? So like I could get around the geopolitical risk in Argentina, but I can't do anything because of the currency. And then Peru, like we talked earlier, the, the geopolitical risk at the moment is, is pretty high. So that's somewhere I, w- I would look at differently than I did six months ago. Uh, and then if the, comp- if the country is investable, like uh, decide what markets I'm going to look at before I spend my time. And then if the country looks investable, I, I look for industries that aren't necessarily going to change as the geopolitics changes. So maybe the best example I could give you would be like a, an opposite of what I look for, which would be like Petrobras in Brazil. Petrobras in Brazil, every time there's a new government, the first thing they do is they just start messing around with Petrobras. They change the directors, they change the policies, the dividends like this, the gas prices is going to change. And I have no idea, like I, I'm not an oil investor to begin with, but like just generally as a principle, like there's certain industries or certain companies where you see where they just come in and politics clearly affect the business constantly. And then currency is always a problem here. So I look for companies that have a certain level of pricing power where, where they can deal with the inflation that's inevitably going to happen in Latin America. So like uh, food is one of those, right? You can pass along food costs to a certain extent. Got it. Yeah, that, that's that's really helpful. I mean, do you, you know, I mean, look, this is a microcap podcast. You know, I'm a big fan of, you know, talking with management down here. You know, are, I mean, from from for you as part of your process, you know, are you big on talking with management or is, you know, are some of these smaller companies out there, are, are they, is management accessible? You know, love, love to hear your thoughts there. I generally don't. I, I generally can make a decision based on the financial disclosures and my understanding of the, the markets. And then, so for example, I run a concentrated portfolio. We can talk about my largest position uh, that I own right now. It's called International Meal Company. Meal 3 is the ticker. It's only listed in Brazil. And their management, for example, has done a really good job of communicating their strategy. I know what they're going to do. You look at the last two years since they've been there and they've executed. So I don't feel the need to, to talk to them because I can see by the results that that what they've said they're going to do, they're doing. So yeah, but 
we can go we can go deeper into meal three if you want to I, I, I love the company no absolutely I mean, yeah give give us the give us a full pitch because i think that'll also give some folks you know like a good quality example of you know sure. what how, how to look so at the region they, so they have 560 restaurants in total throughout latin america it was founded originally by uh the private equity company advent international and advent exited completely in 2019 but it was this weird mix of of all throughout Latin America, so they had like eight restaurants they just sold in Panama, like Hardy's Burgers. They have a, a catering business that does airport catering. They have uh, Margaritaville, which is a, an American company. So this weird mix. And they ended up over leveraged. So new management came in about two years ago. And their strategy was to focus on their core brands and then sell off the rest. So it, it's a turnaround story. They're going to focus on Margaritaville, which is like a... Um, I don't know. It's Jimmy Buffett branded restaurants in the U.S. There's like 26 of them. I don't know if you ever been to one. It's, they play the same. I think I've been to one at, at an airport at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then they have uh, exclusivity with Yum Brands. So they they represent all the Pizza Huts and Kentucky Fried Chickens in Brazil. And then they also have this really unique, uh, uniquely positioned highway chicken restaurant brand called Frango Asado that, that's profitable, and they're going to focus on those. So the market hated it, right? So Advent exited in 2019, then they had the COVID lockdowns and it just dumped and, and it still hasn't recovered and it's it's in the dirt. But valuation-wise, it trades at like 100 million USD, roughly. And you know, just the Margaritaville franchise, which is 100% US restaurants, so I won't put a, uh, a country risk premium on it, we'll call it US markets. It has like, it's probably gonna do like 30 million in EBIT this year. So if you put like a three or four X multiple on that, you get the valuation for the whole company. And then you get Frango Asado, which makes money. They're another probably like 30 or 40 million dollars uh, by the same multiple. And then they still have, you know, 300 Pizza Hut and Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants combined. And they just announced with Yum Brands. Yum Brands just renewed their Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, master franchisee agreement. So that was a huge risk that, that is no longer outstanding. So they were definitely discounted for that. And yeah, so they're going to open up 400 Kentucky fried chicken restaurants in Brazil in the next 10 years. So there's growth. So I think, you know, it might stay depressed for another year. They, they are over leveraged, but they have the assets on the balance sheet to sell off to more than cover the debt. And they're suffering. The results are suffering definitely because of the high interest rates here. So a lot of their debts denominated in reais and interest rates are 13.75% here on the interbank. So that's definitely been a drag on earnings, but it's not going to be like that forever. So I'm content to just, you know, hold it, wait for the debt issue to be resolved. And then, then I think it turns into a growth story once they get the financials fixed. Very good. And, and Patrick, just real quick, just, you know, from compliance purposes, I, I think you, I believe you said it at the top. Oh, I own it. Yeah. yeah. I it's your largest, oh, yeah. I think yeah, you said it's your largest. My large, it's my largest stock position. Yeah. By far. Right. Cool. All right, man. I mean, look, we've covered a lot here and you're definitely, I would love to have you back on to talk, you know, specific regions as things come up and as things change, you know, I, I really just, I so enjoyed our conversation here and everything and learning everything about, you know, the, the opportunities in Latin America, you know, but to, to close this out here, you know, my, my last question for you is what, what do you think has to change in order for more folks to start allocating investment resources to gain exposure to Latin America? Yeah. So I think you, you look at it on a country by country basis, right? So like, I think, I think we talked about El Salvador. El Salvador is going to have higher foreign direct investment numbers next year than they had this year, right? They're on a growth trajectory. So I think, you know, stability, I think the best thing a country can do is stability. Um, that being said, I think there's always going to be 
inflow outflow problems here because they are very commodity rich. So the commodity cycle is always going to affect foreign investment here. And then generally speaking, I think it's like education too. So as the world gets wealthier, you're going to see a more absolute number of investors start to look to Latin America, maybe not on a percentage basis, but yeah, the more information that's out there, the more accessible that information is about the good companies that are here. I think, you know, more institutional and retail investors will start to look at it because, you know, like the company I covered, Groom, I don't own it, but it's a very investable business, right? Like maybe I don't like the multiple, but a family office might be very content to pay that and hold it for 15 years. So I, I think there's plenty of opportunities here if you're willing to pick through them and, you know, adjust your, your perspective on the geopolitical risk and weather the storm. Very good. Well, Patrick, with that, man, thank you so much for joining me. Where can our audience go and find more information to follow you on social media as well as uh, subscribe to your newsletter? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Latam Stocks, L-A-T-A-M Stocks. Uh, I use LinkedIn. So you can find me, Patrick Flood, on LinkedIn. And then the newsletter is latamstocks.substack.com. Patrick, th- thank you so much again for joining me. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I'm, I'm really pumped for our next update. This was a blast. I hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.